world is such a, um, and when I say this world, I mean it. I don't mean in the ideal sense. I mean in uh, every day, every little thing you do. It's such a, gimme, gimme, gimme. Everybody back off. You know, everybody's like, you taught that from school, everywhere. Big business. You want to be successful? You want to be like Trump? Gimme, gimme, gimme. Push, 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 push. Step, step, step. Crush, crush, crush. That's how it all is. Because I feel like, you know, it's too much money here. I mean, nobody should be hitting lotto for 36 million and we got people starving in the streets. That is not idealistic. That's just real. That is just stupid. There's no way Michael Jackson should have, or whoever Jackson, should have a million thousand, drupal billion dollars and then there's people starving. There's no way. There's no way that these people should own planes and their people don't have houses, apartments, shacks, drawers, pants. Even if you earned it, you still owe. Because look at me, I'm not, I don't have that mega money, but I feel guilty walking by somebody. I, I got to give them some mail. And if I know I got $3,000 three, $3, in my pocket, I feel like it's wrong to give that person a quarter or a dollar. It's wrong. Only you know what you got in your pocket. And that's wrong. No matter what they do, if they take it and drink it, they take it and drink it. But, I mean, you got... You understand? And we all know how hard it is, and it's not about if you good or you bad. So since it's not about if you good or you bad, we know that because he don't got, don't mean he was bad. Or don't mean he's a criminal, or don't mean he's crazy, or a drug addict, or none of that. It just means he don't got. And ain't it bad that you got 30, I mean, can you imagine somebody having 32 million dollars? 32. 32 million dollars. And this person has nothing? And you can sleep? You can still go to the movies about, I mean, I mean, and then these, these are the type of people that get humanitarian awards. Millionaires. How can they be humanitarians by the fact that they millionaires? Got a nickel wanting it so bad I'm about to pass out Wanna dig you, and I can't even lie about it Baby, just alleviate your clothes, time to fly about it Catch you at a club, oh shit, you got me feeling Body talking shit to me, but I can't comprehend the meaning Now if you wanna roll with me, then here's your chance Do an 80 on the freeway, police catch me if you can Forgive me, I'm a rider, still I'm just a simple man All I want is money, fuck the fame, I'm a simple man Mr. International, player with a passport Just like a ladder, bitch, get you anything you ask for It's either him or me Champagne, Hennessy, a favorite of my homies when we lost on our enemies. Witness as we creep to a low speed. People to hold me. Pump some more weed from you don't need. Approaching with you with a passion. Been a long deck, but I've been driven by traction in a strong way. Your body is banging, baby. I love it when you're flown it. Time to give it to daddy, nigga. Now tell me how you want W.B. Du Bois once famously described the American Civil War as the nation's first general strike. This is due to the fact that because of hundreds of thousands of enslaved people who stopped their work, many of whom also joined the Union Army, the nation saw its main income resource completely stopped. A capitalist society was brought to a halt because slaves decided they wanted to fight the system of oppression rather than partake in free labor. Let's come back to the idea in a second. Now, of course, I'm tying it in because this is the day after Labor Day, but, you know, I think it was important to actually bring in 
you know, black culture with the idea of labor. Now, while it, may, while it might seem strange to think about an economy with slavery as one with a quote-unquote free market, slaveholders believed that owning people was an economic freedom. They viewed emancipation as a curtailment of their liberty. Then the end of slavery exported their property and restricted the way they were accustomed to doing business. But let's back up. How can the term capitalism be applied to free labor of human beings? When Hova himself said that they created this term to dissuade blacks from getting money. Could the God MC be wrong? Nah, that doesn't seem correct. Maybe we should look at what this word actually means and how it actually was applied. So let's do a deep dive, shall we? Now, of course, the term capitalism is defined as an economic system in which private individuals or businesses own capital goods. At the same time, business owners, capitalists, employ workers, labor, who only receive wages and receive uh, the benefits of those wages. Labor does not own the means of production, but only uses them on the behalf of owners of capital. The production of goods and services under capitalism is based on supply and demand in the general market. This is known as the market economy. Rather than through the central planning known as the planned economy or command economy. Now, the purest form of capitalism is the free market or the laissez-faire capitalism. Now, without the laws created by modern society to protect workers, capitalist ideals, ideals would thrive, while workers would suffer. After all, capitalism in its purest form is the exploitation of market, goods, people, and honesty, honestly lost. Slaveholders were modern capitalists, and this includes a willingness to go to the immense lengths in the pursuit of profit, often on the very edge of the law and what humanity would allow. Of course, we understand that modern capitalist theory can be traced to the 18th century uh, treatise uh, An Inquiry into the Nature of Causes of the Wealth of Nations by Scottish political economist Adam Smith. Of course, Karl Marx would later on in 19th century further expand upon that idea of what capitalism enthralled. Marxism, of course, posits the struggle between social classes, specifically between the bourgeoisie and capitalists and the proletariat or workers, and defines economic relations in the capitalist economy, of course, all governed and protected by the aristocracy at the time, and again, even today. Make no mistake about it, Jay-Z is part of the aristocracy. The idea that slaves saw that in order to break the system, they must essentially break away from it and defeat its core principles is both fascinating and right for thought. Which brings us to this question. Can black people find liberation fighting within the capitalism or against it? Now, I bring in Tupac because I think he represents the dichotomy of the black existence. On one hand, he's a revolutionary. On the other hand, he speaks of the importance of stacking money and getting lux and living in a luxurious lifestyle. A true Gemini. In this song in particular, How Do You Want It? He waxes poetically, albeit in an extremely sexual, misogynistic way, about the desire of a woman. And to me, that's how we as blacks view the seductive nature of capitalism. We yearn for it. We desire it. We believe it. We believe once we accomplish or accumulate a certain degree of wealth, our life will be better for it. But as, as with all things that we are lustful after, it's not real. And we have to understand why the object of our desire is nothing more than a fantasy. How can we want liberation in a system that's designed to exploit us? At the same point, at some point, we have to we must draw a line in the sand and figure out what we want more: liberation or champion exploitation. Both, depending on your perspective, offers a sense of freedom. We just have to choose which type of freedom we desire. 
or as Tupac said, how do you want it? Welcome to Uncultured Bias Podcast. I'm your host, Kamara Williams. We say that culture is a matter of perspective and opinion. After all, culture is another way to discovered. We are uncultured, we are biased, we are black. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you are a returning listener, welcome back, welcome back, and welcome back. We ask those who are listening on Apple and Spotify to rate our podcast and leave a note. And that's how uh, both these platforms actually grade engagement with our particular uh, podcast. Um, point of uh, you know note for those listening, uh, we're, this is episode 98. We are going to take a break after episode 100. Uh, we thank you guys for listening up until this point, but just want you guys to know that um, episode 100, we are going to do try to do a hard stop. Try to do a hard stop. Um, with that being said, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors of the week at Coleman Law. You can reach them at 850-597-2990. If you're in the market for uh, business uh, or uh, business law or um excuse me, tax and everything like that, please contact Coleman Law. If you're in the market for real estate, please contact Keystone Global Real Estate at 407-680-8510. And of course, you're in the market for a probate, estate planning, trust, wills, and all that wonderful stuff, contact Smith & Williams at 888-798-4529 or info at SWTGLaw and of course, SWTGLaw.com. All right, brilliant. I have my frat brother on the line and uh dr terrence kidd he's vice president and professor at saint augustine august uh, excuse me saint augustine in raleigh north carolina uh bro you still with me i am all right all right um i know i did an extended opening um you know why don't you go ahead and tell people what your uh, discipline is and a little bit of background and we can get right into like the subject matter and everything like that is it's almost poetic that <clears throat> you played that Tupac song and Tupac, that exact same song is on my workout playlist <laughs> that I was listening to today, squatting 315 pounds. <laughs> oh, so it just, back, work. It, just it just brings back some, some, some cherished thoughts and memories about Tupac and his work, but more so of his aunt, Asada Sakur, who has her own body of work. Um, but I am a VP uh, and professor at St. Augustine's University, um, the second oldest HBCU in the state of North Carolina um, that has produced the greatness of Anne Julia Cooper, mm. uh, Selma Burke, um, as well as the Prime Minister of the Bahamas, Bahamas Cynthia Pratt, and a host of other Olympians. Uh, my discipline of training is, of course, uh, in a field called information science. My research background looks at the Sociocultural, psychological uh, influences and underpinnings of how people adopt and use technology. Mm. And so, a great deal of our use of tools and artifacts is predicated within these social constructions that we have to also unpack and discuss in terms of equity, um, um, those kinds of things. So, I'm blessed to be here. Uh, before I turn it over, I have to give a plug uh, to the greatest. And the coldest fraternity uh, there, you there is. There you go. There you go. If, if you're after 1906, you're already too late. Too late. You're already too late. The oldest and the coldest and the boldest. All right. I appreciate you, bro, for jumping on. Um, so, like, let's just dive right into it. Like, what did you think about, I know you mentioned the opening, but, like, you know, we talked about the idea behind uh, capitalism. And I'm always, I'm fascinated because I know it's going to be the day after uh, Labor Day, but uh, that quote that came out, uh, now, by the time people listened to me last week of Jay-Z, it sent a 
just kind of like a shockwave within a black community. You saw some who were like, yeah, he was right. And then you saw those, like myself, and I believe you as well, were like, ooh, that is really problematic on so many different levels, especially when we know the history behind the term and how it was applied to not only black bodies, but also the exploitation of just human human lives in general. So there's several, you know, intersecting things that we have to unpack with this comment, right? First of which is we have to understand that capitalism is a byproduct of colonization, the exploitation of individuals. It sets up a system of winners and losers. And those losers, quote unquote, just happen to be those that who have no power to control the mechanisms to create right. said systems of power. What I find very interesting with brother uh, Jay-Z's comment Sean Carter. Yes, yes, yes. He sees himself outside of the everyday Black experience. And what's shocking to this is that our experiences, our epistemological and ontological experiences shape the way we see the world. It almost appears as if he sees himself ancillary Mm -hmm. to this American system. I've made it to this level. Now I have this different perspective. And we must articulate and, 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 and dive into what that looks like. He's a black man, a wealthy black man, right. uh, who lives in a very segregated society. However, when the prevailing society sees him, what do they see first? They don't see that he's married to Beyonce. They do not see that he's married or that he is a wealthy black man. They see a black man. Mm-hmm. So irregardless to the types of wealth that we might accumulate, the types of neighborhoods that we might find ourselves living in, the ways in which we might engage to appear to be successful, you are still a black man yeah. in a Western society. Yeah. You brought up this idea that uh, he's a part of the aristocracy. I would contend that he is not part of the aristocracy Mm. because the aristocracy has strong uh, gatekeeping functions, right? Mm. Along race, along class, around privilege. Um, And so he might have amassed a billion dollars, but that still doesn't give him access to the club. He has access on the periphery. And what we as Black folk have to understand is that we will never be part of that system. We need to stop trying to be part of that system. And the ways in which we articulate success is based on these frames of whiteness. And so the more, the closer that we are to those frames of success of whiteness, the more approximate we are to whiteness, then we feel that we have arrived. Right, that's real. But it just takes one incident to show you, you're still black. So there's a lot to kind of dissect from what you just said. Um, talking about um, black people moving themselves away from the frames of, of whiteness, and then also um, you contending that Jay Z is not part of aristocracy. Um, before I, I think I jumped ahead a little bit because I think there might be some like I don't even know what he's talking about as far as a quote. So I'm actually going to go ahead and play the quote so people can actually have an idea what we're actually referencing and not just assume that their understanding of this particular um, little you know conversation. Yes. Yeah, we're not going to stop. You know, this, the hip-hop is young. We still we still growing, and we're not falling for that technology, whatever, you know, this public puts out there 
now now you know before was the american dream pull yourself out of bootstraps and you can make yourself you can make it in america all these these lies that america told us our whole life um and then when we start getting it, they try to lock us out of it. They start inventing words like, you know, capitalists and, you know, things like that. I mean, you know, we've been called nigger and monkeys and shit. I don't care. I don't, those words y'all come up with, y'all got to come up with stronger words. When I say y'all, I'm not talking about you. The words they come up with, they got to come up with stronger words. We're not going to stop. We're not going to be tricked out of our position. Y'all locked us out. Y'all created a system that, you know, doesn't include us. We said, fine, we went our alternate route. We created this music. We did our thing. You know, we hustled. We fucking killed ourselves to get to this space. And, you know, now it's like, you know, you know, eat the rich and think, man, we're not stopping. So that evolution is, you know, from us, you know, we came from selling seven records and selling uh, records out our trunk and, you know, no radio play. And I think reasonable doubt that, 36,000 the first week or some something like that. I mean, I may be I may be uh adding a little to it. You know, so you know, we come from the I come from Marcy projects. In my first house 615 Lexington Avenue, my grandmother's house, seven families live like she has seven kids. Uh my mother and you know, my parents and siblings lived in that house. My aunt Nisi lived in that house. Hootie lived in that house. Butchie lived in the basement. I mean, this is one house. I went back to that house. Uh, I did an interview with Oprah, and, and and I couldn't believe how small this house was. So I mean, he keeps going on and on and talks about like the you know the the thing about um, coming from a certain place. Now, here's the thing: I want to make sure we're clear. Jay Z is one of my favorite artists, mm-hmm. but just because he's one of my favorite artists does not mean I don't recognize the ridiculousness of his statement. First of all, trichology is not a it's not a word. So I, it's, <laughs> that's a problem. Uh, secondly, um, mm-hmm. the idea but that, you know, capitalism was created to thwart black people from getting money is problematic beyond problematic. And then number two, this idea that black entrepreneurship and wealth um, was created, was somehow manufactured in the 80s, you know, yeah. and when we don't really have, there's examples for the, at least the last 120 years that, there were black millionaires, yeah. you know, far, that was beyond the music industry. You know, James Brown was a was a legit millionaire. He sold a million records ten times. You know, you have Madam, you have Madam C.J. Walker. Right. You have um, uh, the person that actually taught C.J. Walker was actually the first self-made millionaire. Then she taught the game to C.J. Walker. Um, so I think two things here. One of which is brother Jay Z may not be um, aware of the bodies of knowledge that you and I might have. So we tend to hold people to a different standard. You and I have graduate level education. You and I have read these things. We're up to date on these things. He's speaking from um, one point of his experiences. And he may be undereducated on the topics, but he's expressing himself the best way he knows how. And then number two, I'm concerned that we as a community put so much stock and value mm. and reverence in what celebrities have to say. That part. As if these are individuals who are infallible, fountains of wisdom and or the meccas themselves. Right. When oftentimes they are misaligned with the perspectives of the modern day community. Mm. 
His comment was reminiscent to the comment that Kim Kardashian made earlier about oh, yeah. getting off of your behind and working. And work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what do you think the working class has been doing for four or five hundred years? Right. They have been working hard and breaking their backs working hard, but they have not been given the luck opportunities right. that some might have be afforded. Right. And we look at Brother Jay-Z, the element of luck within his hard work. So we have to dissect these things and just be real about the situation. Um, he, he's just not um, educated on the topic. And he's speaking from his limited experiences. However, he should not conflate his upbringing yeah. with his standard of success. Those are two mutually exclusive things. Many of us have found ourselves in meager beginnings and through our hard work, education, and some luck, even we've been able to measure, make some measure of success. Let's even let's 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 make sure even ratchet up furthermore. He cannot conflate not only his upbringing and his experiences and try to transfer, um, uh, yes, transpose yes, it yes. onto like the black experience in general. But in reality, you know, he is there's a dangerous in dangerousness in especially with celebrities. And where we have um, this idea that my world is the gospel and the truth, as opposed yep. to thinking that, you know, my <laughs> world is just my world. You know what I mean? So most people have a difficult time understanding that their point of view is an end of one, and that is not generalizable. Right. And oftentimes when we are self-removed from an experience, we still think our experience is everyone's experience. Absolutely. Oh, you're a black man. You grew up in the South. Right. Then you and I have the same experiences. Well, no, we have, right. it might be some commonalities, right. but we didn't have the same experiences. However, I will say this, the ways in which society will treat you as a black man might be consistent across certain spaces. Right, right. Regardless of money, wealth, um, status, class, etc. And so there is some relative small truth in what Brother Jay-Z said. So these small truths are these ontological experiences, truths that are relative to the individual. These big capital T's are these immutable truths. You know, we can't speak about an immutable truth, right? And his idea that hip-hop um, was the start of Black liberation in terms of divesting ourselves from this system um, may not be, you know, the full perspective that we should be looking into. I mean, I just think that is, you know, completely off the mark. Well, you know, there's a reason why I chose like the Tupac clip in the beginning, right? So the Tupac, he mentioned something very, very interesting. Um, he talked about Trump. Everybody wants a desire to be like Trump. And it's fascinating because we know now, 30 years later, we see, you know, after that clip, still um trump's appeal right now but yeah. the thing what people don't realize the uh, rise of trump was based on demagoguery right and yeah. the idea of demagoguery of course being that people um uh, a person uh, taking facts and using a almost a seductive reasoning that's not based on rationale right but it's appealing to the emotional ideal of that particular crowd or person and we then we do that a lot with celebrities. You mentioned celebrities. We kind of like 
lose deify our them. we we deify them and we we lose our rationale when evaluating what they're doing and saying well that's actually not correct but because they have a platform they they have a title they have a status they have the money we say you know what they might be actually right about that and it's like no they're not what they are is they're highly successful in that particular capacity what they've done and they're right about that particular world and capacity of making money or being successful or doing whatever. Jay-Z is a brilliant writer, a brilliant artist, a brilliant businessman. That those things are, you know, infallible. But that but doesn't mean black, yeah. There are other black brilliant businessmen out there who are still struggling. There are other black brilliant writers out there who have not been given the luck right. that Jay-Z has had or been put in the right circumstances to be seen and or heard. So I think when we look at these celebrities, we have to look at, and those are outliers. Right. Celebrities are outliers. They are not the normative experience of the everyday, quote unquote, bell curve normality right. experiences. Right. Um, I, I just want to just want to encourage us as a people to really think about who we're putting our trust in and what thought leadership mm. are valuing. Right. Mm-hmm. I've kind of looked at some of our other cultures and ethnicity groups around, and they seem to esteem their scholars and other uh, members of their professional class and those opinions more, as opposed to celebrities. Mm-hmm. But with us as a people, not to say that we don't, it would appear that when celebrities and or other politicians are in the conversation, we might lean more heavily toward what the celebrity might be voicing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, again, the American ideal of celebrity um, celebrity, and how we view those whose opinions are valued a little bit more. Tupac, in that, again, that line, uh, excuse me, in that quote, he says, um, again, somebody having money, we tend to put... Um, yeah. their their words holding more value or their morality their morality they, they must be good people they yes. must be they, okay. they must be great they must be good human beings because yeah. look at the success they've had and you see this this narrative of this protestant work ethic right so i think the judeo-christian philosophy kind of works against some things right mm-hmm. work hard work hard work hard work hard for the boss and you will be rewarded you'll be the boss too yeah right you but you never see it sometimes right you just never see it right this idea that because i have a lot of wealth and materialistic goods somehow that makes me a good person somehow i have god's favor when in fact we know you can rob you can exploit you can steal you can do all these evil things right no one knows about it but yet you're still sitting pretty right you trace many of these billionaire families back and you see that there's connections to exploitation right. and so many other things and so we just have to be mindful of that um of this celebrityism um this book called the outlier talks about Malcolm Gladwell. How, yeah yeah how they take these one facile points and superimpose it to be the experiences of the many when that's not true and they take that little piece and they run with it right but you bring up a point in how we as a people look to these celebrities, this Trumpism, these these demagogues, and is it that we want to be like them psychologically? Yes. Do we do we want to feel validation from them and be like them? Yes. 
do we want to behave in ways that they behave? Absolutely. And do we, as black folk, want to wield power like white people? Absolutely. So that's what all this kind of boils down to. I want to be like this group because this group is in power and I want to do what they're doing. Right. And there's empowerment in being, there's empowerment in um, being the oppressor instead of the oppressed. Yes. Yes. Nobody wants to be oppressed. Nobody wants to be oppressed. I heard a clip. Someone said, everyone loves being black until it's time Time to to be be black. black. Yeah. So like Audre Lorde had this statement, um, said you cannot, you know, you cannot destroy the master's house with the master's tools. Yes, 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 yes. You know, um, and it's, yeah, and it's, yeah. it's really, it kind of goes into, I mean, I, I mean, it's not so matter of fact, but then it kind of gets into the statement of how can we as people like really destroy a system that's been designed to exploit us and take advantage of us? And can we, are we, or should we, participate in the system thinking that once we operate within it, then we can destroy it inside. Or do we become the very thing in which we, you know, was the object of our, our, our bane of our uh, existence. And I say, what has the data shown us? Well, pardon. What has the evidence shown us? Evidence has shown us that we become the very thing in which, you know, in which we hate or fear. Um, I remember, you know, again, Jay-Z being my favorite artist, but I was disgusted when he created T-shirts of Black Lives Black Lives Matter T-shirts and put them in Barney's, mm. and I was like, "Why would he do that?" Yeah. <laughs> was what like, his comments about in the NFL? He was supposed to be so revolutionary and revolutionize the NFL, right? And he ended up just preserving the same status quo of the NFL, right? So he became a shield for the shield. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so like this thing where we kind of have to we have to take a critical use a critical lens in evaluating those who are our progenitors of culture, big progenitors of culture, people who have impact in our in our cultural lives and say, well, maybe your impact is great in that particular sphere, but you shouldn't be a thought leader in regards to the into the um, the advancement of black people, because just because. And we don't know what he does. We don't know what his, you know. But we, but you releasing people from prison and all the things. Th- those things are great, right? But that doesn't give you the, I guess, the fulcrum to say, well, you know, eat the rich is not a valid term. You see, okay, so I, I think there is room for many types of perspectives. Okay, I think. fair enough. There are scholars, there's doctors, there's teachers, there's folks on the street, there's musicians, artists. I think when it comes to black liberation, we need all voices who are really truly for the liberation of black folk uh, at the table. Now, everybody black ain't for you. I just want us to know that. That's, that's there, true. There are Heinrich Clark said something very interesting. He said the Negro will blame his or her own self before allowing the master to take the fall. Meaning some folk will operate in ways to protect and shield the oppressor. Right. And by deduction themselves become an oppressor to its own people. Right. I think we have to be very careful in who we invite to this table. Just because you look like us don't mean you're for us. Absolutely. And I do believe some individuals who who have reached celebrityhood 
um, have some valid things to say. I, I think Brother Jay-Z um, may just not know how to fully express himself um, with the right things to say. Some things he said was pretty good. I, I do agree with the fact that when he said that we were told to follow the American dream, we were told to pull ourselves up, we were told these different things, we were told to just be good, be quiet, lay down and work. But that didn't work. But and is, so, isn't the he, idea behind demagoguery, though, like you mix in some truth with fiction? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You, okay. mix in, you, you, you mix in some truth with fiction. Yes, 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 you do. You do. Okay. Um, but again, I, I think we as a culture need to be need to be at a place where we are educated enough to understand the fantasy Right. The misinformation piece, the, the piece that is um, informing the hysteria from the fact and fiction. Right. What he was saying in part was true. This is what you were told, right. but it wasn't working for you and it's not going to work for you. Right. So you have to be innovative in finding another way within that system. Right. But then, as you experience that system, you become like that system. Right. Absolutely. Um, so the you know the next uh, question I guess I want to get into is how do we as a people I guess advance within the society and I want to say this um, I actually want to play another Tupac clip actually uh, I think it's actually it's it's an interesting clip and it relates to capitalism so um, and it, here, I'll just play it and we'll, we can dive into it. Starting to sell jail space. Yeah. You know, jail is big business. Um, believe me, I'm in jail. I see the big business. They charge you for your telephone calls. They charge you for disciplinary problems. Jail is big business. You know, you can get, you can feed a whole town off one jail. This, this jail is in the middle of a town that feeds everybody. Um, everybody works here. This is the main income. So if there was no criminals, nobody would work. You know what I mean? So if we don't start peeping that, we're in trouble. So. That clip is really fascinating because right now he's in Clinton Correctional Facility. I mean, at, at that time, at the clip. And he talks about the interrelation between um, black bodies being imprisoned and the upholding of a town by needing those black bodies to be imprisoned. And the merging of that, you know, um, the merging of almost the black pain and black struggle with keeping an entire town alive and how they have, and, and we all, we know how private prison industry is one of the most exploitive t- um, industries in the world, in America, America has private prison industry is, is so disgusting because they, ha- because they have to continue to put bodies in prison in order to keep these towns or this, this industry. And they're marketed um, as it's actually one of the more profitable businesses because you can exploit prisoners and make a high amount of income based off of how many prisons you have in your particular facility. It is a moral shame. And I don't know why our churches don't speak up loud about this because this is sinful. The, the amount of people we incarcerate. So you talk about keeping the town alive. I contend they don't care about the town. It's about keeping those folks who are profiting profiting. Right. Um, I just saw an infographic a few weeks ago that said um, 47 out of the 50 states have more prisons than colleges in that state. Yeah, I can see that. 
um, we incarcerate a third of the world's population yeah. in this one country. One country, yeah, I saw that. Sad. We 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 view or the historical view, if we take a look from what the work of Pinart talks about, how we view black bodies, right? Um, the commodification of black bodies, black bodies as entertainment, and then black bodies as mandingo fantasies, right? Right. And so we're always used as a type of exploitation. If you look at some of the crime data in some cities and the arrests, those arrests were used to generate revenue in those cities. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so these are intersecting kind of conversations. The issue in this country when it comes to um, socioeconomics, we hate the poor. We hate poor people. We don't want to be poor. We've criminalized poor people. We have demonized poor people. It's your fault based on the circumstances you were born in. If you can't get out of poverty, it's your own fault. And we don't see that in this country, the empirical evidence says it is virtually impossible to climb social class. Yeah. Virtually impossible in 2022. Mm. Right. Virtually impossible. It, it break that down. Why, why do we say it's virtually impossible? Because I know there's some... I know a particular listener, shout out to my boy Lyndon, he was like, mm, you can climb social class by working hard and making the right decisions. But mm, well, that's still an outlier. Anyone, anyone can be an anomaly. Anyone can be an inner one. This, we're not talking about those isolated luck cases, right? Those isolated cases. What does the normative data show you? What does it tell you? It shows you that Class and race are strictly tied together, and those who are at the bottom of the social class in this structure mm-hmm. are black and brown folk. Mm-hmm. Now, you might one um, percent, one half of the percent of of this nation owns the total wealth. I don't care if you say you've made it or not; you are not part of that one half percent. Mm-hmm. So that one half percent owns the total wealth of this nation. It seems to me that we have to do some thinking around who is that benefiting. So, all right, this goes back to the statement where you said you don't believe Jay-Z is part of the aristocracy. I would contend he is, right? Yes. Because, okay, my definition of aristocracy is those who protect, are in line of protecting a system, um, benefiting and protecting a system of exploit, uh, exploitation um, because they understand this system in place um, elevates them to a standard of living in life, right? That's not the Webster's dictionary. That's Kamar. That's a Kamar term. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and so someone like he may not be the Warren, but Warren Buffett probably he would probably kill himself if Warren Buffett had Jay Z's money. He would, you know, he would probably jump off a building and be like, "I can't do this anymore. I've, I'm broke." Right? You know, like just, you know, Jay Z's a half a sneeze away from not being a billionaire, right? And that's no no diss to him, but I'm saying that. Um, we're not. We understand that his level of financial means does not make him the top earner in that particular social class. Mm-hmm. But just because mm-hmm. he's not the top person within that social class does not mean he's not part of that social class. So remember, the aristocracy actually controlled the governing system. So okay. we we're not talking about just economic system. Right. Anyone can have a bunch of money, but you're shut out of the systems that create the mechanisms that create power structures in this country. Okay. Fair enough. So I think, I think we have to be able to distinguish 
um, these nuances, right? Right. Um, I go back to the French Revolution where the aristocracy actually controlled everything until the reign of terror came in and they just started chopping off heads. Right. But what did it teach you? What what did that teach you? It, it taught you that folks who are oppressed to the brink where they see no hope, no future, mm-hmm. react in ways that are violent. And we know that civil rights across the world, across the ages, have only come about through violent upheavals. Mm-hmm. So if you want radical, systematic change, it ain't coming by marching and saying kumbaya. Right. I'm just saying right. the evidence is different. Right. And so my question becomes is, are we as black folk willing to forfeit our privilege and entitlements? Right. Because we live really good in America, despite its flaws, we do live pretty good lives. Right. So there's a there's a um, Tupac thing to that point, right? Where he said, I keep referencing Tupac, but I actually want to play it. Um, no, in this hotel room, they have food every day. And I'm knocking on the door every day to eat. And they tell, and they open the door, let me see the, the party. Let me see, like, them throwing salami all over the I mean, just like throwing food around. Where they're telling me there's no food in here. You know what I'm saying? Every day, I'm standing outside trying to sing my way in. You know what I'm saying? We are hungry, please let us in. We are hungry, please let us in. After about a week, that song is going to change the, we hungry, we need some food. After two, three weeks, it's like, you know, give me all the food, we're breaking out the door. And after a year, you just like, you know what I'm saying? I'm picking the lock, coming through the door, blasting, you know what I'm saying? It's like you hungry, you reached your level, you don't want any more. We asked 10 years ago. We was asking with the Panthers. We was asking with them, you know, with civil rights movement. We was asking, you know, now, now, those people that were asking, they're all dead and in jail. So now, what do you think we're going to do? So I played that. I played that scene because it goes in line exactly what you just said, right? Of the you know the uh, um, proletariat um, uh, rising against the aristocracy and the, and the reign of terror, and saying, "Hey, you know what? We know that you guys are you. You guys have the means to feed us, and we're sick of it. So we're actually going to now." Pick through, go through the lock, pick the locks, and come through blasting, whatever. You know what I mean? And so, um, I just wanted to play that because I thought it was a really apropos to what you were saying. We in this nation, it's it, it very, it is a perplexing conundrum when you look at the religiosity of this country, mm-hmm. right? We're so religious, but yet we have the highest rates of homelessness, teenage homelessness. Uh, foster cares, uh, youth that are not being adopted. There's so many social declivities. Right. But yet we have these celebrities who get these humanitarian awards. <laughs> right. And I ask myself this question, who's benefiting from that humanitarian award? Yeah. Mm. Who's really benefiting? Yeah. Because when I see the haves and have nots has widened in this country. Absolutely. It's and it's getting worse. Yeah. We waste so much food in this country. Mm-hmm. Children in Texas, particularly my home state, um, um, 25,000 children, it said a day, go to bed without eating uh, a solid three meals a day. Children, I'm not talking about adults, just children. Mississippi, you just heard a few days ago, um, seven uh, $70 million in funds 
wasted uh, to help welfare recipients with aid, 90% of the folks were denied. Denied, 90%. But $70 million earmarked to help those in poverty was given to Brent Farr, given mismanaged to the wealthy, just mismanaged. So my, my thoughts are that our economic systems and our governing systems really don't care about poor people. They don't. And to that point, I just want to make you make a great segue into what's happening in Jackson, Mississippi. And who's the mayor? Oh, um, I forget who's yeah. the mayor. I forget. Uh, is it, is it a brother. brother? Brother. It's a brother. Right? I forget the name, yes, though. Yes. 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 Who's the governor? Um, the white woman. Yes. 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 Yeah. And and Mississippi now is under the spotlight because you're the poorest state in the union. You're last in education. You're the poorest in the in the union. Right. But yet, you've known about the water crisis. You've known about the poverty. You've known about the injustices in your state, but you refuse to do anything about it so, because it's affecting black folk. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing about it is like what's even more fascinating about or not sad, not really fascinating. Mississippi, I think several years ago, they gave uh, Brett Favre, who's from Mississippi, um, I think like six million dollars or something like that to <laughs> for speaking or something like that. And he never he never utilized that. He never spoke. He never spoke. He never spoke. You know, and but it, it shows you, you know, the importance they put on, you know, the lack of importance they put on black black people. Jackson, Mississippi is the blackest city in the country. Eighty six point three percent of its um, population is black. That's a that's a large number of black people. And yet the, the blackest city in the poorest state in the most probably the most bigoted state in the union. Is struggling with clean water and that would be weird if it was just like a one-off but it's like, not a one-off but it's not a one-off because 10 years There's ago multiple cities. yeah multiple cities that are dealing with infrastructure particularly in flint we know what happened with flint and that was under democratic leadership as well so it's not a republican democratic thing but it just shows you the what happens in a system that's not designed to uplift the poorest and the least among us and yet we have people out here who are saying to themselves yeah, you know what? Um, I'm not against. I'm against this idea of of being anti-capitalist, you know, like and saying what system is better and what system can we use? And it's like it's such a weird thing when we know it, it, it's there's this system that we've banked our entire existence, American existence it's on. Working. It's not working, and it's actually exploiting and hurting people. So maybe we, we maybe we should not be thinking like what system is better. Maybe we should be thinking like how can we improve upon this thing that we have. You know, because we're not ever getting rid of capitalism. You know what I'm saying? It, we're never, I just don't see this country ever getting rid of it. You, you, you disagree. I, I, I think I would never say never because there are no absolutes in the universe. I, I think fair enough. conditions necessitate structure mm-hmm. and how those structures evolve. Something cataclysmic will have to happen. A meteor slams into the country right. and it decimates half the country. Then we'll have to do something, right? Mm-hmm. But I do think we have an opportunity now to think about what works best for Black folk by Black folk. Mm-hmm. Too much of the narrative is is controlled by non-Black folk telling Black folk what they need, right? right. Too many celebrities are telling Black folk what they need, right? right? What do Black folks say we need? 
outside of all these other structures of whiteness. Mm. Because most it, sometimes it boils down to we as Black folk trying to identify as close as possible to whiteness. As possible. But yeah. still saying as possible, but not, but still try to retain being Black. And as you mentioned earlier, Tupac says, how do you want it? You can't have it all. You can't, you're gonna have to make some choices on what is going to work best for you. And we know throughout history, what has worked well for Black folk, even particularly Black folk within the American society. Yeah. But we've kind of shifted away from that because we've adopted more and more ideals of the dominant society for good, bad, or indifferent. Um, I've always been taught that there is a spectrum of change. On both ends, you have those who want to change from within, and then on the far end, you have those who want to tear the whole structure down, scrap it, and start over. Either way, we're going to have to think about the casualties of lives in the middle of this. I think that's all we... I think sometimes we forget that there are real lives at stake here, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, this 2016 election, folks were listening to Mark Lamont Hill saying, well, maybe we should set this one out. And they did. And it had irreparable consequences. Right. Irreparable that cannot be fixed. So when you listen to these demagoguery people, you have to be very sure that what you're listening to is truth and righteousness that is going to help further the cause of the people. And you just can't place that type of power in anyone's hands. But it, it, and that, I think we, no, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I didn't mean to kill your flow. I, I think to that point, we have to ask a question: When somebody's making these statements, who does it benefit? Does it benefit this person giving the statement, or does it benefit the people that it's affected? You know, and when you have people say, "Remember," like, go ahead. I'm sorry. Remember, remember. Folks who have gained the advantage in a capitalist system behave in ways to protect said system to reinforce their privileges and entitlements. Mm. They ain't giving it up so easy. No, no. So yes, I will say a few things and I'll do a few things to appear to please the masses. Right. Oh, I'll let you out of jail. I'll play bills. I'll give you food. But yet and still, I'm still exploiting my own very people to build my own wealth. No one talks about that either. You know, we cannot be so... Oh, hip-hop. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Oh, that, you were about to go somewhere. I like this. Keep going. I was a, I was about to say, no one ever stops to consider how hip-hop has exploited black folk. Hmm. And I'm a, I'm a child and, and byproduct and love of hip-hop, so I love hip-hop. So let's, let's, let's dive into that one. Like, let, walk, walk me through your so, thought process on that one. Th- so one point, approximately $1.5 trillion of black um, monies are spent on goods and services. Mm. And so part of these industries' goal is to get a chunk of that expenditure, that spending power. Mm-hmm. $1.8 trillion is a lot of money, right. right? That's a lot for 13 to 14% of the population. So when you look at hip hop, hip hop is strictly marketed to who? Marketed towards black. Black, as black people. Actually, I would even say hip hop is marketed. It's created for the black black culture, but it's marketed towards white people. That's actually who I think. 
who are the greatest recipients? I would say uh, the recipients who are the major buyers of hip hop. I would say I would say white culture. I more like the culture because they have the numbers statistically. It's more of them, so they can buy more. Right, but proportionately, black people though are yes we we are the biggest progenitors of of hip hop culture. Yes, I would agree with that. Who does Sean P Diddy market to? Who does Jay Z market to? Who so did they market? Their marketing is towards us, but I would offer that caveat. It's they market towards us because white America, the world, looks towards black people, black American culture as a canary in a coal mine of what is cool and what is hip and what is what moves. So you just so you just proved part of the discussion. We continue to look at black folks as commodities. Okay. All right. Fair enough. That's fair enough. So, okay. But do you see, do you see where my, what I'm saying is they're, they're marketing towards us, but not, oh, with yes, the, yes, yes. not with the eyes of us. They're marketing towards us to create, generate interest for other cultures that are going to be spending, have the spending capital. So we are the commodity, but we're not the object of their financial desire. I would, I would. We continue, we continue to be used and exploited for their own personal financial needs. Right. And that's what capitalism does. Right. However, if we want a more just and more reformed system, there's nothing to say that we could not divert and circulate those that wealth back into the lives of the folks that it came from and i think that's my contention with all of this these these humanitarian awards um oftentimes um don't seem to be connected to uh transforming the quality of life standing of black and brown people but to other communities yeah and I, I think we as a people have to think about that. Yeah. So I want, how, I'm sorry, go ahead. So I, I want I want to ask you, because you brought this up, and I don't know if we, we really delved into it, but the desire of black people to become um white as far as to, to, not not to necessarily white, but I mean I, I'm being a little maybe grotesque. We want to wield the power that white folks wield. Right. We wanna we want to be in the position of power to exact the same things they've done to us, to other people. We just have to be real about it. You right. know, right. issues of patriarchy and misogyny, you know, the idea of oppressed groups mm-hmm. behaving in ways that oppress other groups. Right. Um, when the slaves were, were freed, um, a sister, uh, A.K., uh, told me, Donika Jackson, very brilliant uh, lady, Howard um, graduate. She says that if you look at it, the majority of the slaves that were set free returned right back to the same systems of sharecropping. And she said it was the conditions mm. were oftentimes worse yeah. than they were. And she said, why might you think those enslaved or newly freed enslaved persons would return back to those conditions. 
And I said, there's probably a psychological link between, you know, issues of fear and having to make it on your own and how they might've been comfortable in those conditions. Mm -hmm. And it's something that Daenerys Targaryen said on Game of Thrones. Mm, Shout out to Game of Thrones. People begin to love their chains. Mm. So we have an economic system that has oppressed us. Right. But somehow over time, we've come to value and love that very system that continues to oppress us. It's the, 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 abuse, to the point yeah, where, right. Yeah. Continue, no, keep going. I'm sorry. I would say to the, I would say to the point where we're not willing to forfeit those privileges and entitlements because we are afraid of what we're going to lose. Right. It's a byproduct of defining yourself, your self-worth and your efficacy based on your ability to acquire things. Mm-hmm. That's fair. And so I would even go take it a step further. It's like people, we want to champion like capitalism so bad. Um, instead of dealing with the realities of how like like black masses within the U.S. are not benefit benefiting from this particular system. And so when people ask a question like, what is better? Like, what can we do better? And it's like, instead of really asking a better question of, you know, should we be integrating within a system that is designed to kill us, designed to exploit us? Um, you know, and then how, you know, how does a system that's born to ensure the exploitation of, you know, black people and black masses and creates the profits of those within, whether they're aristocracy or the few benefits that are within that, um, how can we ex- expect better from a particular ruling class? Instead of trying to be part of that ruling class. Wait, 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 wait. I teach research methods and quant stats and all these kinds of research empirical methods. And I say you have to look at past behavior as a predictor of future success. What has the past taught us about groups of people? How many thousands of years of data do we need? Right. Right. You're expecting... Um, you're expecting something to happen when the evidence have suggested otherwise cannot happen otherwise. Not that it can't happen, that otherwise has happened. I just listened to this TikTok research study on, they, they did a study on people, whether or not they felt that folks were good or not, and they divided folks into four quadrants. And what their research revealed was people are not good. Mm. They're only good as long as you can help them get to where they need to go. Inherent within that, people are not good. Hmm. That's just one data point. I just thought that was an interesting study. I wouldn't disagree with that. I wouldn't disagree. Human history has shown us that if you allow people to operate within their own devices, they are incredibly selfish. That is true. That is true. But then you have people like Dr. William Barbara and the Poor People's Campaign that puts it right in front of your face, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You have the poor. And it is a moral obligation, a just obligation for you to provide a society and access to society for the poor. Yeah. Um, and and we're, we're all, you know, a shoestring away from poverty, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We don't know what could happen, whether disaster, one week in the hospital. We don't know. Right. But it, it would seem to me that we would take more of an active look 
into our governing structure to perhaps those that can change from within, create policies, procedures, and structures to change from within, while those who might be more radical work on another end to change and dismantle systems. So my prov- because until we ch- no, no, I'm sorry, ahead. I'm sorry, sorry. No, yeah, no, I'm, I keep interrupting you, bro. No, 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 you're good, you're good. My um, my former professor said, you know, you you cannot. He just told me, a sociological professor. He said, black people have to be understand that we cannot earn ourselves out of, you know, um, turmoil. Like you cannot do that. Like I, when people point to like the Rihannas or the Jay Zs or even the Kanyes, right? The the modern billionaires, modern black billionaires. And there's more. We have more black billionaires than that. Like maybe a few more. Um, and obviously the Oprahs and all that, but. Like we understand that their wealth doesn't transfer over into the increased rising of the black status quo within society. And we often get, you know, mesmerized by black status within the society and say, see, that's see, we're rising. Like the idea that, you know, I point in point in preference, Barack Obama being coming president didn't eradicate um bigotry and racism. In fact, what it did is actually highlighted it yeah, it actually created it. It reverberated and made it more, um, it made it more pronounced in certain spaces, right? And so it revealed what was already there, right? It revealed what was already there. We just chose to turn a blind eye to it, right? And so we have this thing where we often get seduced again, you know, in <laughs> talking about the Tupac song, we get seduced in this ideology that, you know, yeah, you know we make a certain amount of money and that's going to a rising tide raises all ships. That's only to a certain percentage, but you know, Oprah, Jay-Z, Kanye, you know, Rihanna, hell, Beyonce, whomever cannot spend us or cannot donate or cannot provide us whatever, no matter how much they may divulge in their own private, um, you know, uh, uh, their own private charity. They cannot rise, raise the status of the black, of black folk. You know, and, and they can't do it alone. They can't do it alone. And for us to suggest that they should be is just, you know, illogical at this point. It's, it's just they still have to contend with the same social ills that black folk have to do. They may be shielded from some of the impact of it, right? Based on their wealth and so forth. But they still have to deal with the same issues. I'm reminded of the incident with Oprah and the incident at the diamond store where she was called, you know, a racial epithet and not served. Here's a black billionaire. Well, okay, and right, right. You know, so I, I do think there's an opportunity with the celebrity platform for those that um seek black liberation. But black liberation cannot come at the hands of trying to be white or being shaped by markers of success and liberation of whiteness. But what does black liberation look like? That is a good question. I think for me, in my in my thinking, we have to totally divest ourselves from capitalism. Okay, Capitalism is the system of exploitation and American jurisprudence is the weapon that keeps us all in line. Right. Right. And so we have to find ways within that spectrum, right? You have one end 
the ones who want to work from within the belly to change the belly. And there's space for those individuals. And then you have the more radical folks who want to tear it all down, separate, build our own. You know, there's an opportunity for that. But I think I think we have to define it as a people. And I, I think that we can't look to the government to do that, although they do have a responsibility because they created the structure. Right. Structural inequality was the rise of Plessy versus Ferguson through segregation, right? Um, and the thing that they did with redlining and, and the housing laws and all those kinds of things, there's a governmental responsibility. But I think we cannot continue as a people to look for that. Right. Maybe one day it will come. Maybe it won't. But we can't rest our laurels on that. We have to come together. And think about this from a cooperative standpoint, putting our best and brightest together on solving this challenge. Mm -hmm. But I think because it will cause us to cut off that privilege, mm -hmm. to cut off our entitlements, we're just not willing to do that yet. So It's just like some of my colleagues in the Ivory Tower mm -hmm. in academia. We love to talk revolution. We love to talk about racism and ideologies, this and that. We love doing it. But the minute it's time to forfeit your privilege mm -hmm. and your entitlements. We ease on up. Right. Right. So this, um, first, I, I also have to say in order to really attack and understand capitalism, we have to understand how it's tied there's interdependence on the idea of imperialism. Right. And like when you work, those things work hand in hand, imperialistic ideals of society is tied into exploitation. And like, you know, we have to know we can't look any further than how the biggest imperialist society on this planet right now is the American military. And we, when people talk about things like I was I was talking to uh, somebody. So I don't like big government. So I, was, I, I hate big government, man. And I was like, what does that look? What do you mean? Big government? What is big government? I know what he meant, but I just want to hear him say it. He was like, oh, they don't know. Well, no, he's he, oh, you know, entitlement programs and. Social programs and all this. I said, so I said, so social programs. That's it. That's big government to you. Yeah. I said, you know what? The, what is the biggest form of big government, though? So I don't know. I said military. They take up 58 percent of the budget. Not just that. So all of the entitlement programs combined still still does not equal the amount of money wasted. No. And see, people like see, see, see. That was an anti-black statement from that person. Right. Black folk. Be but this is a black person. But this is a black person that said it. That's what's it, even funny. Black folk can still be anti-black. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And what he said, he he tied social programs, right? The idea that these sorts of poor people are using these entitlement programs—that's big government. But yet he doesn't understand that the military is big government. Right. Reversing Roe v. Wade, big government. Right. Right. Gutting Miranda is big government. Right. Right. These types of things. We so we we we're not as informed as we should be as a as a group of people. It's right? very it's very Reagan. You know, Reagan used the idea of big government to attack social programs and pro, social programs where the you know the um, disguise of attacking you know, black people and black and poor people. And we get this thing where, or we get accustomed to the idea that, you know, we cut down, we cut big government down, you know, because we want people to earn their way through. When in reality, you, can't. you can, you can't earn your way out of, um, out of oppression. I'm sorry. I, I, I it, it, for a holistically for an entire group. I'm sorry. Yes. So I, I want you to think about this story that came out this year. This young man, 
um, he wasn't young. He retired from, I think, Burger King. And all they gave him was like a cupcake and oh, I saw he had that. like I saw that. seventy thousand dollars in his retirement. I saw that. He had worked twenty something years. Twenty something years. Never missed a day. Only, never missed a day. Never only missed a day. Had seventy something thousand in his retirement account after thirty years. Yeah. I know another person, personal story. She was a jack in the box manager and she retired after thirty years. And she only had about $68,000, $69,000 in her retirement after 30 years of labor. You cannot earn your way. You can't. Right. Um, And and, and again, I I think our religious community um, has been very silent on the exploitation of the poor. Yeah. And they themselves are part of this capitalist culture, right? Mm-hmm. The big mega church is actually antithetical to the Bible and actual Jesus' message. He would have just torn down mega churches, but that's a different discussion, right? But the fact that it says the poor shall be with you always and that there were laws in the good book that forced them to do right by poor people because they knew they were going to exploit them. Right. Look at where we are today. Where is the voice that says, you know, this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this and let us stop doing this. And this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. yeah. It almost as if we need the poor to keep them poor, to keep the machine going. You know what? To, even to that point, though, this is a big question. I know you said, you said in the beginning of this discussion, we need all sorts of voices on this particular mm-hmm. subject. But can we afford to have somebody who's benefited from the exploitation of the system to be a voice for those, for the rest of us? Does that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say a voice for the rest of us. They are a voice, a voice, right? In, they are a voice in a multiplicity of voices, but I would not allow their celebrity status to trump and or overshadow, like a better term, overshadow someone else's voice. But he, okay. Because the same hard work, the same hard, the same hard work that those celebrities have used to gain, you know, their wealth. There are other black entrepreneurs. The one that comes to the top of my head, the Slutty Vegan yeah. franchise in yeah. Atlanta. Yeah. The, the Amazing Lash Lady. Yeah. These are some folks that have um, done well in entrepreneurship that can also add similar type voices. I don't I think we as black folk have to divest ourselves from celebrity demigods. Right. They do not have well, some of them do have our best interest in mind. Fair enough. But do you understand what I'm saying? Like I was thinking about it like again, this is a theological question, right? Um I've always said that if Jesus came back today, mm. he would be lambasted because they'd be like, if he walk around like I don't have he has no money. Right. He's he's got no social media profile, you know, so his no food, no food, no car, no car. No right. And people would automatically invalidate his message because they would say he does not represent. He, he doesn't represent us because he's not successful. And oftentimes, oftentimes we would look at we look at someone's success as an arbitrator of their truth. And so I say, like, but yeah. in my mind, I say to myself. Can somebody 
should somebody be a representative of that truth when they've accumulated a certain self sense of wealth and status in society that has may have taken advantage of people. And I will say this, I don't know Jay-Z personally, clearly, but I know of a story that I will not divulge on air of how he particularly took advantage of somebody um, yeah, 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 yeah. and their business and has but what, did, what did Bill Gates do reap when the he benefits. worked with Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I, and, and so I, I say all that to say, sometimes we have to ask those big questions. Should someone who doesn't represent, who only represents a certain scintilla of society, not even people, of this, a certain scintilla of society, like we're not yachting, we're, we're not yachting in, in Croatia right now. Like, right, when he made that statement, he was in, first of all, why the hell he's on Clubhouse? I don't know. I didn't even know Clubhouse was still a thing. But like, <laughs> but when he made that still- statement, he was yachting in Croatia. Mm-hmm. Who the hell yachts in Croatia except for somebody who can afford a certain lifestyle and then to have the audacity to say, you know, um, you know, uh, make uh, a pontificate about the ideologies of wealth in society? It's kind of right. like, it's like really. Right, it's, right. So it's the same argument folks make with, with Karl Marx. Karl Marx, as he wrote his um, treatise, was living a very posh life in England, being taken care of by a millionaire. Mm-hmm. Most folks don't know that. Yes, Frederick Engels took care of Karl Marx, who wrote these things. And so I still would say is that there is still value somewhere, somehow, in the message of the person. I think we just have to learn how to take the meat and throw the bones out. Mm. Um one thing that I've realized is that we have these moral purity tests. Um, we They applied them in the 2016 election. They keep applying them to presidential elections. People have all these purity tests that they themselves cannot perform and or live up to. But we put other folks under these impossible purity test standards. We all, um, as the good books say, come short, right? We all do. Right. And I think that's the beauty in living in this type of society in that those of us that do fall short, we can collectively come together and still learn, right? Right. Maybe someone exploit someone. They were at a different stage of enlightenment at one point. Mm -hmm. Now, if that person over time has not grown through a place of enlightenment and is now wise, then of course I wouldn't listen to that person. And you shouldn't either. Right. Right. That's fair. That's fair. So, bro, because I, I know you got to run because I know you have a. You're good. You're good. You're yeah. good. You're good. Um, so I, I wanted you to give your like just your final thoughts on just like can you know, on the idea of just black liberation and the idea of can black people merge? Should we merge our our wants and desires into, you know, increasing our success with or can is it possible to merge success and black liberation. I guess that's the best way. Let me so I think, that. I think you I think you can, but I think we have to be mindful of how we're defining success. Mm-hmm. What lens are we using? So the board talked about this double-minded consciousness, how we always will view ourselves from the lens of whiteness, right? Right. We have to in in the phenomenological research process, it's called bracketing. We have to somehow 
step outside of that lens of whiteness and really see and understand what blackness truly is and really define success collectively from a lens of blackness, right? So just because you have a big job, a big title, a, a lot of money, um, purview of span of control, blah, 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 that might not mean you're successful, right? right. You might just have had those things, right? Your generation of wealth might not mean you're successful. How is wealth, how can wealth be decide, defined for black folk? How is your community thriving holistically? Right. What is the health of your community holistically? Are your children life expectancy, um, quality of education, quality of school, some of these kind of qualitative things. But then I would also say, um, do we want to be liberated? Do we want to be liberated from this system? Do we want to? That's the first question, because some folks don't want to be liberated. Just like the folks that returned to sharecropping, they didn't want to be liberated. And then there are folks who actively fought against the enslaved to remain slaves who were slaves. Right. Do we want to be made free? And if you want to be made free or liberate, I think black liberation has to come through an economic liberation and a spiritual, moral, psychological liberation. You cannot expect a group of people who have been devastated um, by an economic system, mentally, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, to behave in ways of free people. You have to deal with the compounding trauma and, and legacy of colonization, slavery, exploitation, integration, all these different PTSD kinds of things. We have to deal with that. And so we have to heal from that somehow. But that starts divesting ourselves from the said systems that continue to keep us oppressed and bound. Hmm. That's a word. I like that. So I like to end every program with a love letter to black people. And in that love letter, I like to say, you know, dear black people, I believe we just had a really riveting, thought provoking discussion surrounding the plight of black Americans and how we can both. Uh, be both liberated socially and financially and the question does hold the balance does hold it like can we balance our ideals for the pursuit of happiness shout out to will smith um and like there's no easy answer to this conundrum right but just because the question is hard doesn't mean we shouldn't challenge ourselves to be better now That's I know, correct. now i know that the elephant in the room is based on my moniker or my Sobrakay, a fancy word for nickname on Instagram, is the Black Aristocat. Now, the idea behind the Black Aristocat, let me just say, is the understanding that Black people have to operate, as you said, you know, our frat brother W. Bois, the double consciousness, and understanding that we operate within a society that we may understand we have to, we may have to be a part of, but we don't integrate within it, and a right. and a Black person a black professional and i am a lawyer i have to operate within society where i society that i know does not really fully accept me but i have to understand that system and i have to operate within it in order to be successful and help people within it i do estate planning and 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 i help people with their um not only with uh securing their wealth but uh make sure they can pass it on to uh, later generations so i understand the importance of that 
That was legacy building. That is legacy building. Legacy building. And we have to be able to understand that there's a, we have to be able to say we can be a part, we can be in the system, but still be um, apart from it. And that is where the ideal of the black aristocrat, because it's not an aristocrat, it's an aristocrat. That means we keep a portion of what makes us black and it, it makes us relatable to our, yeah. from where we came from. And so therein lies the, um, I guess, the subtle differences in how I think black people should operate within the system that we should always keep one eye on community and liberation and ourselves, being true to ourselves, but understanding that we keep a foot in the water of this very oppressive system But even in that sense We cannot judge ourselves Or judge anybody For being a part of that system Because we don't understand the story And we don't understand What their ultimate plan is in far, As far as whether they're within a community Within their family Within, um, you know, globally uh, So we ha- Go ahead I don't know I don't know Because the evidence speaks the evidence speaks. You 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 can say whatever you want to say to people, but your behavior is going to be consistent with your intentions. That's true. And, but we, and so, but we have to be careful, brother, not to judge people. Oh, I'm not saying judge. You're judging. You're not judging the person. You're judging the outcome of the behavior. That's fair. Now, if I've lied to you, brother, for a hundred years, if I lied to you for a hundred years. The chances are I might still continue to lie to you. That's what the data have suggested. I might still lie to you. But there might be one chance that I might not. But the probability says that I will. So you have to adapt and pivot accordingly. That's fair. That's fair. We, we, but we one. but we have to be we have to be careful even in understanding that the, what the data suggests that we still, until it's been the formula or the equation has been worked out, we cannot lay cascade judgment until things are being completed. We already have. I don't believe that either because it was complete. You, you have, you have, you have 500 years of data on many things. And yet sometimes we as people, as a, as a community, we refuse to see what the evidence is telling us, hoping for a different outcome. That's fair. That's fair. I, I don't I know. I don't know. And I'm not saying judge anybody. Don't judge the people. You judge the outcome of the behavior. Okay. What is the evidence? What is the behavior telling you? Okay. Right? So with that being said, brother, with my, with the idea of only, we can only judge the outcome of the behavior. I think the most appropriate song for us to write out to, in keeping with the theme of Tupac, um, is this next song. But with that being said, thank y'all for thank you for joining us and everybody, thank you for listening. So we with that, we going right out and uh, it's a pleasure. It's most a, humble to be here. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, brother. And I do I do not judge y'all if you say, man, I'm tired of y'all talking about this particular <laughs> this, this particular issue on this podcast. Thank y'all for listening. And with that, we going right out. Only God can judge me. That right. Only God, baby. Nobody else. Nobody else. All you other motherfuckers, get out of my business. Really? Perhaps I was blind to the facts. Stabbed in the back, I couldn't trust my own hopes. Just a bunch of dirty facts. Will I succeed? Paranoid from the weed. And hocus pocus, try to focus, but I can't see. And in my mind, I'm a blind man doing time. Look to my future, cause my past is all behind me. Is it a crime to fight for what?
but it's mine. Everybody's done. Tell me what's the use in trying. I've been trapped since birth. Cautious, cause I'm cursed. And fantasies of my family in the hurts. And they say it's the white man I should fear. But it's my own kind doing all the killing here. I can't lie, ain't no love for the other side. Jealousy inside, make them wish I died. Oh my lord, tell me what I'm living for. Everybody's dropping, got me knocking on heaven's door. In all my memories, I'm seeing brothers bleed. And everybody grieves, but still nobody sees. Recollect your thoughts, don't get caught up in the mix. Cause the media is full of dirty tricks. Only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. Only God can judge me.